Hello and welcome to Marysville Church of Christ podcast. This is Under Attack. My name is Bishop Darby. Thanks for joining us. Over the last several weeks, we've been exploring the spiritual conflict that we find ourselves in. Looking at New Testament stories and passages that reveal to us just how truly important this war is that we're in. What we've been studying is that the more awake and aware we are to this conflict, the more helpful and beneficial we are to the kingdom of God and to the cause of Christ. The more awake and aware we are to the conflict that we find ourselves in, the better off we're going to be to the world around us, the more light we can shine into the darkness. Last week we introduced our main nemesis in this war, Satan. We took a look at exactly who he is and what he can do and what he is doing. And along the way we realized that he has tremendous power and sway over this world. He has tremendous power and sway over the forces of this world. But this week I want to take a moment and break that down just a bit more. And I want to begin to explore the power Satan and his army has over us today. The things he can do to us and the way that our our enemy applies power and force to the world that he tries to enslave. The story I'd like us to start with today is actually found in Job. If you have a pen and paper, go ahead and get it out and get ready, because I'm going to move relatively quickly through things you may not have heard before. And I encourage you to write down some of these verses and come back to them when you have time. Job chapter 1 here, we're going to see an introduction to who Satan is and what he can do. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the story of Job, or maybe it's been a little bit, and you'd like a quick refresher. Job comes to accuse God of injustice, accusing him that the only reason Job and people like Job follow him is because he has removed all free will from them, that he has taken away all the temptations that could possibly hurt them, in which case the love that they have for him is not real. It's not sincere. So Satan puts God on trial, if you will. God then does the remarkable, the unthinkable. He actually chooses Job to be his defense attorney, calling Job to the stand to to, uh, show his righteousness and vindicate God from the accusation of Satan. It's a remarkable story that really empowers us, but that's not the point of today's lesson. During this vindication of God, found in this opening chapter, we see some remarkable things uh, Satan can do to affect Job, the things he does, the weapons he wields to hurt him. Consider in verse 13. Now the day came when Job's son and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house, and a messenger came to Job saying, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing, and the Sabians swooped down and carried them all away, and they killed all the servants with the sword, and I, only I, alone escaped to tell you. While they, that this one was still speaking, another messenger arrived and said, The fire from heaven has fallen, it's lightning, and has burned up the sheep and the servants, it has consumed them, and I, yes, only I, escaped to tell you. While this one was still speaking, yet another messenger arrived and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and carried them all away, and they killed the servants with the sword. And I, yes, I alone escaped to tell you. 
And while yet again this one was still speaking, yet another messenger arrived and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came and swept across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on all of them, and they all died. And I, yet I alone, escaped to tell you. This all comes on the tail end of verse 12 when Satan says, All right then, everything he has uh, I will do. And Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So Satan goes from the presence of the Lord and accomplishes all of these tasks in quick succession against Job and his family. To break it down, it kind of looks like this. Satan uses war and nations. Satan uses natural disasters. Satan uses illnesses. And Satan has the power of death. In these four areas, we see that Satan has a tremendous amount of power that he can exert at any time. We're not going to spend too much time on this first one, the war in the nations. In this story, he used the Sabians and he used the Chaldeans. But we see in the New Testament in passages like John 12, 31, John 14, 30, 16, 11, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Ephesians 2, 2, Luke chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, and etc. I could keep going. That uh, These passages we looked at last week that show that Satan has a tremendous amount of sway and power over the kingdoms of the world. Perhaps the most jarring representation of this in the New Testament is during the temptation of Jesus when Satan looks at him and says, The powers of the kingdoms of earth have been given to me, and I can give them to whoever I choose. Satan has a tremendous amount of sway and power over the war and nations of this world. Now, does that mean that all uh, wars are instigated by Satan? Does that mean that every nation's evil actions are an act of Satan? Well, I think we do have to take in consideration the tremendous sway that free will holds, the free will of people. But I do think it's accurate to say that every time something evil happens on earth, and it can be attributed to a nation or to war, that Satan is to some degree involved, heavily involved. In this moment, he was able to incite the Sabians and Chaldeans to raid. Perhaps that's the way his influence over nations works. Perhaps he uses temptations to incite leaders into acts of violence and evil. Perhaps he is able to sway distrust and discord. We don't know the ins and outs of the extent of his power, but he does have power over war and nations. Consider what that means for us today. We, as the kingdom of God, stand opposed to the kingdoms of this world, all of them. The agendas of the kingdom of heaven are not the same as the agendas of the kingdom of earth. The agendas of heaven are not the same as the agendas of the United States, or of China, or of Russia, or of France, or of Germany, or of Scandinavia. And it, none of these nations align with our agenda. And so we find ourselves constantly working within a nation, but not for the nation. We're working for God. In this way, every time the nation that we find ourselves in, or another nation, plagues us and stops us from accomplishing our mission, it is working for and under the directive of Satan. Now, this may take a physical form. This may be an invasion. This may be violence. But it might be political idolatry. It might be Satan blinding us to becoming so obsessed with our own nation's politics that we lose sight of the kingdom agenda. However it is that Satan uses these kingdoms, whenever a kingdom of the earth stands in opposition to the kingdom of heaven, Satan is behind it, and he has tremendous power in that.
The second thing we see from the story in Job is Satan's abilities to use natural disasters. We see this in verse 16 with the lightning storm and in verses 18 and 19 with the tornado. And this is actually a pretty common theme throughout the New Testament. In Mark chapter 4, for instance, Jesus was leaving a crowd and was going out to his apostles who were on the lake. And as Jesus started into the water, a great windstorm blew up and the waves were crashing against the boat and the boat was nearly going to be overturned. But in verse 38, we see this. But Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The apostles woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we are about to die? So he got up and noticed this, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Be quiet and calm down. Then the wind stopped, and it was dead calm. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the waters have always been a representation of chaotic darkness. Throughout the Old Testament, Yahweh's victories were often over the chaotic waters. In this situation, it's no different. Jesus calmed the storm by rebuking it, indicating, using this wordage, that there was some force behind it that he was actually rebuking. I mean, none of us believe that water is sentient, do we? That water can, by its own actions, do things that Jesus had to, to rebuke? No, surely not. Rather, it's more likely that there is a demonic force that was at work in this moment, using the water and the winds and the waves and the storm to try to stop and kill the apostles. And Jesus rebuked it. This actual representation ties all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 during the fall of man, in which earth was corrupted by the influence of Satan. And as we handed the kingship of earth over to Satan, God listed all the, all the things that were going to happen because of it. In Romans chapter 8, we actually see another representation of this. Paul says, this is how I work it out. Beginning in verse 19. The sufferings we go through in the present time are not worth putting it in the scale alongside the glory that is going to be unveiled for us. Yes, creation itself is on, the tiptoe, is on its tiptoes with expectation, eagerly awaiting the moment when God's children will be revealed. Creation, you see, was and is subjected to pointless futility. Subjected. That's an important word. Not of its own volition, but because of the one who placed it in subjection. So what we see here is that Satan is using creation against us. And I think we see examples of this all the time. Consider the devastation and disaster of hurricanes or tornadoes or lightning storms or windstorms. Consider the devastation that occurs from tsunamis and earthquakes and volcanoes. Now, am I saying that Satan is responsible for every individual one? To some degree, yes. And to some degree, I'm not sure. As we go through the next couple weeks, we're really going to break down this, looking specifically at what Satan can do. But today, what we can know, what we do know, is that he is to some degree responsible for natural disasters. So we have war in nations, we have natural disasters, and the third thing, timely for today, is illness. In Job chapter 2, verse 7, the trial against God continues, and Satan goes from the presence of God and afflicts Job with a malignant ulcer. Uh, this, I, this word, affliction, is really important because it literally means an act of violence against. This reveals to us that Satan had the ability to afflict Job with a specific illness and disease. 
This carries on into the New Testament, as frequently gospel writers talk about people who are under illnesses or diseases as being, and this is an important word, mastics. It's a Greek word, mastics, that means flogging or scourged. For instance, in Mark chapter 3, verse 10, 529, 534, Luke 721, and, and on and on, Jesus actually heals people who are mastics, not sick, but mastics, afflicted, being scourged by Satan with a physical ailment. Everything from blindness to muteness to to scoliosis to paralysis to uncontrollable bleeding to hemorrhaging to, I mean, on and on and on the list goes. All of these are representations of mastics being afflicted by Satan. Consider probably the most stark example of this is in Luke chapter 13. It says this, beginning in verse 10, I'm going to be kind of skipping around through verse 16. Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and there was a woman who had been been afflicted by a spirit of weakness for 18 years. She was bent double and couldn't stand fully. Jesus saw her and called called to her, woman, you are freed from your affliction. And at once she stood upright and praised God. The synagogue president was angry that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Look here, he said to the crowd. There are six days for people to work. Come on one of those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Jesus responded, you bunch of hypocrites. You would all be quite happy to untie an ox or a donkey from its stall on the Sabbath day and lead it out for a drink, would you not? And isn't it right that this daughter of Abraham, who has been afflicted and tied up by Satan for 18 years, should be untied from her chains on this Sabbath day? afflicted and tied up by Satan. Jesus draws a direct correlation between the physical ailment she's undergoing and the power of Satan. Again, another consistent uh, reminder in this pattern that Jesus tells us, God tells us, Job's story shows us, the Gospels reveal to us that physical ailments to some degree are tied to Satan's power. And he can wield them, and he does frequently wield them against us. So we have examples of Satan using war in nations, natural disasters, illnesses. But ultimately it culminates in his most powerful weapon. Death. Which he wields frequently against humanity. Since the children share in blood and flesh, he too shared in them, that is Christ, in just the same way so that through his death he might eventually destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. Death is the greatest weapon in Satan's arsenal, and it is the one he uses frequently against us. And and over the next couple weeks, this is the one that we're really going to tune into and focus in on. Now, at the end of this episode, you're probably wondering, what can we do against a force who has power of nations and kingdoms, who has power of illnesses and natural disasters and even death? How can we stand against such a powerful force? Well, the reality is we have been given an equally powerful force. We have been given the force of God, the power of Jesus' blood, and the remarkable benefit of prayer. Over the next couple weeks, I'm going to invite you into this study with me as we go through and undo these powerful acts of Satan, realizing that we are not alone. In fact, we are empowered against this monster. There is no force of hell that is stronger than God. There is no force of hell that is stronger than you. He might have these powers. Come back next week and let's talk about ours.